Our first reading today is from Exodus 19, 9 to 13. The second one is Mark 5, 21 to 43. And the third one is Matthew 14, 35 to 36. The Lord said to Moses, I am coming to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear and speak with you and will always believe you. Moses reported the people's words to the Lord and the Lord told Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes and be prepared for the, by the third day. For on the third day the Lord came down to Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, put boundaries for the people all around the mountain and say, Be careful that you don't go up to the mountain or touch its base. Anyone who touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand may touch him. Instead, he will be stoned or shot with arrows and not live, whether animal or human. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they may go up to the mountain. Now for the second reading. When Jesus had crossed over the, again by boat to the other side, a crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came when he saw Jesus. He fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, My, daughter, my little daughter is dying. Come and lay your hands on her that she can get well and live. So Jesus went with him with a large crowd was following and pressing against him. Now a woman was suffering for 12 years and endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse, having heard about Jesus. She came up behind him in a crowd and touched his clothing. For he said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instant, her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus realised that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and says, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, You'll see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, Who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from the, your affliction. 
While he was still speaking, people came by the synagogue's leader's house and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? When, Je when Jesus overheard what was said, he told the synagogue's leader, Don't be afraid, only believe. He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, John and James's brother. They came to the leader's house. He saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, but put them all outside. He took the child's father, mother, who were those were with him, and entered the place where the child was. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Tathia Kahum, which is translated, little girl, I stay to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old, and this they utterly astounded. Then he said, he told them to give her something to eat. When Jesus heard about it, it, oh, sorry. When Jesus heard about it, he withdrew from there by a boat to a remote place to be alone. When the crowds heard this, they followed on foot from the towns. He went ashore and saw a large crowd, had, had compassion on them and healed their sick. When evening came, the disciples approached and said, the place is deserted and it's, it is already. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the village to buy food for themselves. They don't, don't need to go away, Jesus told them. Give them something to eat. But we only have five loaves and two fish here, they said to him. Bring them here to me, he said. Then he commanded to the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to the heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Everyone was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets of leftover pieces. Now those who are about to have 5,000 men besides women and children Actually, he made the disciples get into the boat to go ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, he went up to, on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already at some distance from land. Bathed by the waves, because the wind was against them. Jesus became toward them, walking in the sea, early in the morning. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It was a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Immediately Jesus spoke to them, Have courage, do not be afraid. Lord, it is you, Peter answered him. Command me to come to you on the water, he said. Come, and climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he was, he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, said to him, you are of you of little faith, why do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the shore of Glasenet. <laughs> when the men took place, recognised him, they alerted the whole vicinity and brought to him all who were sick. They begged him they might not only touch the end of the rope, a robe, as as many touched, it, it were healed. Thank you, Sally. There was a little misunderstanding there. I think we got a little bit more reading than I had intended, but that's okay. Thank you, thank you very much, Sally. Um, the sermon uh, tonight this is titled "Touching Jesus, Touching Me." Oh, uh, just for those visiting, um, at, at the end of the sermon, we usually have a little time where we can reflect on the service and there's a few questions come up on the screen. Now you can join with a few other people and discuss them or just, uh, just reflect on them yourselves, okay? So that'll be at the end of the, the sermon. The um, text for the day comes from Matthew 14, 35b to 36. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who were touched, who touched it, were healed. Actually, I don't really need this, do I? Doubling up. God made his promise to Abraham that he would build a nation, a great nation, through him. And that through him all the peoples on earth would be blessed. And then through his grandson Jacob, the nation of Israel was born, although through great hardship during the oppression of slavery in Egypt. God then rescued them through his servant Moses and brought them out of Egypt into the desert and assembled them before Mount Sinai. 
He made his pledge to them, reaffirming that he is their God and they are his people. They came into his very presence when he visited with them by coming down onto the mountaintop. And there he gave them a small taste of his power and it caused them to quake in their boots. They'd witnessed all that had been done to the Egyptians through the plagues, even the killing of the firstborn, but this was something different. Whereas during that time, they saw God's power as bystanders somewhat removed. Here his raw power was there for all to see and experience. They were directly affected by it. God made sure they knew who they were were dealing with. What he had done in Egypt, he'd done through his servant Moses. But here he visited them in person. He was so close to them that they could almost reach out and touch him. But because of his holiness, his purity, his perfection, he couldn't allow that to happen. He set a barrier between them, them and himself. No one was to come near him. No one was to even touch the very ground on which he stood. He was holy, pure and perfect. They were sinners, each and every one of them, and never the twain shall meet. He could not allow himself to be tainted by them in any way, and so there had to remain a distance between them. And if anyone violated that space, they were to be put instantly to death. Not even an animal was allowed to enter there. He gave special dispensation to Moses, allowing him to come close. But even then, you can be sure that Moses was never allowed to touch him. In fact, he never even saw the face of God because if he had, he would have died instantly. Then later on, the Ark of the Covenant was built. This was to represent God among his people. It was a tangible representation of his holy presence. And it was before this ark that Moses would meet with God. When the tabernacle was built, a curtain was placed between the ark and the rest of the tabernacle, shielding it so that people couldn't even see it. And only the anointed priest could enter there after ritual washing and an atoning sacrifice had been made for his sin. And then only once a year. And even then he didn't actually see God or even hear him speak. Even the things used in the sacred rituals were so holy that there was no way that anyone would be allowed anywhere near them, let alone touch them. Hundreds of years later, nothing had changed. As can be seen when David wanted to bring the ark of the Lord up to Jerusalem from the house of Abinadab, where it had been since it was brought back to Israel by the Philistines after they captured it. You can read about that in 1 Samuel. Samuel. David didn't follow the rules as set down by God as to how the ark was to be transported. According to God's instructions, it was to be carried by the priests, but David placed it on a new cart, 
pulled by oxen. Can that, that sound be taken down a little bit? It, it's uh, very echoey. When the oxen stumbled, Uzzah, one of the sons of Abinadab, put out his hand to, to steady the ark and was immediately struck down and died because he had dared touch the ark of God. This was akin to, to touching God himself and nobody was allowed to touch God no matter what the circumstances. Even the priests when carrying the ark were to carry it by the poles that were inserted in the rings attached to it so they didn't actually need to touch the ark itself. And during this time in heaven, as he had from the very beginning of creation, Jesus observed everything. He was there when Adam and Eve were created and he watched when they sinned. He'd witnessed all mankind's tragedies, traumas, pains and sufferings. He'd seen wars fought over the most trivial things, despots ruling people with an iron fist, people inflicting pain and suffering on other people. He's seen the effects of natural disasters, famines, plagues, earthquakes, fires, storms, volcanoes, etc. He took part in the decision to destroy the earth when, with one massive flood. He witnessed the ebb and flow of people falling away from God and coming back to him. But in all that time, he had kept his distance. The barrier that was there between sinful mankind and God applied to him too. For he is God, the second person of the Trinity. He'd observed, he'd witnessed, he'd seen from a distance. But now all that changed. For some nine months before that first Christmas day, he took on humanity and came and dwelt among us. He experienced what we experience. He had all the emotions that we have, anger, frustration, joy, hurt, etc. He came and touched the world and allowed himself to be touched in the world and ultimately allowed himself to be tortured and put to death by the world. And so we see that Jesus, the Son of Almighty God, instead of distancing himself from people, instead of maintaining a barrier so that none could come near him, reaches out and touches people and allows people to touch him. Not only on a physical level, but also on the spiritual level. Here is the God-man straddling two dimensions. The physical and the spiritual. The sinful and the pure. The fallen realm and the perfect realm. He has a foot in both camps, fully God and fully man. And so he can touch and he can allow himself to be touched without compromising his perfection. As much as he was in the world among all that is sinful, all that is impure, all that falls short, all that is unclean, he remains clean, he remains pure, he remains sinless. He can touch the leper without becoming unclean. He can touch the sinner and be touched by the sinner without becoming impure. He can touch a dead body without defiling himself. All the things that are unclean or impure according to God's law have no effect on him. 
Only one who is fully God and fully man could do that. And so we come to the story in our reading. Jesus' ministry had been going on for some time and his fame had spread far and wide and large crowds followed him wherever he went. We then see Jairus, a synagogue ruler, an important religious identity, come to him. But he didn't come to argue or debate. He didn't come to confront or accuse. He came out of desperation because his little girl, just 12 years old, was sick and on the point of death. He came showing deep respect, humbling himself before Jesus, falling down at his feet. And see what he's asking Jesus to do. He says, come and lay your hand on her so that she may be made well and live. Jesus, please come and touch my little girl. Your touch is the touch of God. And if you touch her, she will be healed. And so Jesus, full of compassion, goes with him. But then there's an interruption. Things don't go as smoothly as Jairus had wished. Someone else also needed Jesus. This time someone needed to touch him. A desperate lady saw in Jesus her salvation from her affliction. A lady who had suffered terribly for a very long time, 12 years, for the same length of time that the little girl had lived. And because of her condition, she was considered unclean. And in Israel of Jesus' time, this was not a good thing. To be unclean meant all kinds of restrictions were placed on you. It wasn't only the physical condition that caused the suffering, but also the emotional and the psychological trauma that her condition forced upon her. So she came to Jesus because she'd obviously heard of him and the healings he'd performed. But this unclean woman, who had very little, if any, status in her society, after all, she was only a woman as well as being unclean, dared not come to meet him face to face. She thought, if I I just touch even his clothes, I'll be healed. This showed a tremendous faith in Jesus. And she came up behind him thinking, he'll never need to know. After all, lots of people are touching him. I'll just sneak up behind him and duck down among the crowd and just touch the hem of his garment so no one will notice And that's what she did. She reached out and touched the Son of God through his garment. So why was this different to all the others in the crowd touching him? The difference was that the crowd touched him physically, unthinkingly bumping into him, or maybe even reaching out to touch him on an emotional emotional level. I've touched Jesus. But she touched him spiritually. The Son of God allowed her to touch him in this way. He allowed power to flow from her, from him to her. She touched the Messiah and became a whole woman again. But what she hadn't counted on was that he'd know. She hoped to be able to sneak away without anyone ever knowing what she'd done. But you can't spiritually touch the Son of God without him knowing. So Jesus immediately stops, looks around and asks, Who touched me? 
he probably already knew, but wanted to give her the chance to come to him. She knew that she couldn't get away. So full of fear and trembling, she came forward and Jesus demonstrated once again that all could come to him. All could touch him. All were welcomed by him, no matter who they were, and all her fears were allayed as he, full of compassion, commended her faith and sent her on her way rejoicing. She had touched Jesus and Jesus had touched her in return. In the meantime, you can imagine what's going on through Jairus' mind. Jesus, hurry up. We can't afford to delay. My daughter's on the point of death. If she dies, you'll be too late. Being a synagogue ruler, he may have even thought that a man in his position should take precedence over a mere woman. After all, he was an important man. And then comes the news he dreaded. Your daughter is dead. It's too late. It's all over. You might as well come home, so don't bother Jesus anymore. At that point, he probably felt numb. It would have been like a heavy body blow. But Jesus looked at him with loving eyes and says, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus would demonstrate here that he is Lord not only of the living but also of the dead. So Jesus continues to go with him. And when he comes to the house, he goes into the little girl and takes her by the hand. He touches her, takes hold of her. And once again, power flows from him. And at his command, the little girl opens her eyes, stands up and walks around. There's obviously nothing wrong with her. She is raised. She is healed. Jesus is the author of life. The woman came and touched Jesus and Jesus came and touched the girl and the result was the same. Close contact with Jesus results in miracles. But notice where the woman herself was healed through her own faith, Jairus' daughter was healed through Jairus' faith. We also see this with the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus on behalf of her daughter and her daughter was also the recipient of Jesus' healing even though she wasn't physically present. Read that in Matthew 15. Here also it was this woman's faith that resulted in her daughter's healing. So also with the royal official's son in John 4 and the centurion's servant in Luke 7. These people petitioned Jesus on behalf of others and their petitions were heard. Jesus' power had flowed from him to their dear ones and his power was not restricted by distance. His touch does not need to be physical for Jesus is not limited by the physical. Jesus was spirit long before he took on the physical. And so we see fulfilled what Jesus declared in the synagogue in Nazareth. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Jesus' coming wasn't just about his sacrifice as important as that was. 
If it was, he could have appeared as an adult without anyone knowing where he came from and God could have done like Abraham did with Isaac. Take him to a lonely spot in the wilderness and sacrifice him without anyone witnessing it. No, there was much more to the life of Jesus as a man among sinners. It was important for us that he too experienced every stage of life from the time of his conception to his maturity. He touched life and was touched by life as a baby, as a toddler, as a young boy, as a teenager, as a young immature adult and as a mature adult. And so he became equipped for the task that didn't end with his death and resurrection but continues on as our advocate, our representative before the throne of God. And that's why he needed to walk in our shoes so that he could be best the best advocate he could possibly be, with an understanding that he could not get any other way. He needed to journey through life and touch life like every one of us so that he could experience firsthand what we experience. He needed to touch life and be touched by life as we are. And in this way, he was prepared so that when he won that victory over sin and death, when he once again opened the way for us to come into the very presence of God by tearing down that curtain that separated us, he could lead us by the hand into the very presence of the Father. As the writer of the Hebrews puts it, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. And when he left to go back to the Father, he made sure that his touch would never leave us. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, for the touch of God is the touch of God, whether through the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. And as he says in John 14, those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. His hand is always on us, and he is always within easy reach. Look what happened when John saw him and he was transported into his presence at the start of Revelation and saw Jesus in all his glory. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he placed his right hand on me saying, Don't be afraid. The first thing Jesus did was touch him to assure him, to take away his fear from being in the presence of so awesome a being. Just like his hand was on John, so is his hand on us. And he tells us, don't be afraid. Allow the touch of our Lord and Master, our King and Redeemer, our brother and friend, to give us peace no matter what happens around us, no matter what we may have to face. When Jesus placed his hand on John, John was in exile on the island of Patmos. His circumstances would not have been very comfortable or pleasant and he may have been aware that he was the last of the apostles still left alive, knowing that at least some of the others had been martyred for Jesus. And Jesus placed his hand on him saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first 
and the last and the living one. I was dead and see, I'm alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Where in the Old Testament God, times God was untouchable, through the work of our Lord Jesus, he is now within easy reach with no boundaries, no restrictions. For through the blood of Christ, we have been made clean. The one who holds the keys of death and Hades is the one who is our advocate before the Father. And he drapes his cloak of righteousness around our shoulders. And because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, because we have the touch of our Lord upon us, we are also used by the Spirit to touch others. Those who don't know Jesus can be touched by him through us. In our text we read, people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. We may bring our sick to him, our physically sick, our spiritually sick, and seek his touch for them. Notice that the people begged on behalf of those who were sick. Let us also beg our Lord on behalf of those who are sick, whether physically or spiritually. Jesus healed both the sick and the dead, for he is Lord of all, and nothing is beyond him. So let us be the hand of Jesus to the lost, so that when we touch them, the power of the Lord and our Lord and Master will flow through us to them. And how do we do that? By bringing their needs before God's holy throne. By showing them the love of Jesus and sharing his saving gospel. Many will refuse to be touched, but those who accept his touch will be saved. Shall we pray? Most gracious Lord, our dear loving Heavenly Father, we praise you, O God. We thank you that you, dear Jesus, came to this world, that you touched that you allowed yourself to be touched, that you went to that cross where you shed your blood so that we may be made clean, made acceptable to Almighty God, so that we may come into your presence and be touched by you. Father, help us to be Jesus to those we come into contact with. Help us to reach out as you reached out, that others may also come to know the wonderful saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.